This sermon today out of Heroes is a huge burden of mine. And fact is, my weekend will not be a weekend until I get this out and just talk to you about this issue uh, of Jacob's life. Jacob is who we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, you have any electronic devices that you get Scripture from, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, that's primarily, that's where we're going to be. We're going to look at an event in Jacob's life because Jacob's life teaches us this, that even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our pain, God does not leave us there. Fact is, Jacob's life teaches us, even when we cause the struggles in our life, even when we cause the difficulties in our life, God does not forsake us, God does not abandon us, and God does not leave us there. You see, so many times that's what keeps people from crying out to God in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of the pains that they've caused. They feel like that they have no right to call out to him because, after all, they caused it. Now, while you're going to Exodus chapter 32, let me just tell you a, a story from Texas and, and it's from Dallas, Texas. And there's a, there's a famous Mexican restaurant in Dallas. And it's called La Hacienda. You ever go to Dallas and you love steak fajitas, then you go to La Hacienda. They had some fabulous steak fajitas. And so, so a while back, there was a, a real cowboy, an older guy that started going in there. And so he was a real cowboy. I mean, he really had dirt on his hat. He really had dirt on his jeans. His truck actually had some scratches and some dents in it from, from working the cattle. And so he went in there, big hat. He goes in, sits down at the bar. He orders three beers, and he, he orders some steak fajitas. And so they noticed that this, this cowboy would take a drink, sip out of one, and a sip out of another, and a sip out of another. And so the bartender's watching this, tells the manager. The manager comes out and tells him, says, excuse me, sir, but, but we've, got some of the, we've got some of the finest service here. And so when you, when you do that, your beer will not only get warm, but it, it will go flat. So why don't you do this for us? Why don't you order one beer at a time, and we'll, we'll get the next one out as soon as we can. He goes, oh, you don't understand. He said, I was raised in Wyoming, and I have two other brothers. And every Monday night, we would go to a local Mexican restaurant, and we'd, have a, we'd drink a beer together, and we'd eat fajitas. And so when we all moved away and moved to different states, we made an agreement that every Monday night, we would carry on the tradition, and we would have a, have a drink together. He said, oh, I understand. So this went on for three or four months. Then one day, the cowboy comes in, and this time, instead of ordering three beers, he, he orders two. So the bartender goes, oh, one of his brothers must have, must have passed away. So he's worried, so he tells the manager. So the manager comes out and says, sir, we just, we just want to give you our condolences. We are so sorry for the loss of your brother. Oh, wait a minute, it's not, what you, it's not what you think. He said, you see, my wife and I, we moved to Dallas, Texas, and, and we like joined this Baptist church, and so now that we're Baptist, I don't drink. <laughs> but, but. My decision obviously has not affected my two brothers. <laughs> now listen. Now listen. Today, for this message, do not drink for anyone else. There is a temptation when we come to Scripture. There's a temptation when we open up the Word of God. There's a temptation when we hear a sermon to where we drink for someone else. I hope they hear this. I hope they get this. I hope this goes deep down into their soul. I wish they heard this. They really need this. Listen, let me tell you something. God does not want you to drink for anyone else. If you're going to get today out of this message what God has for you, I'm just telling you, there is going to be a tendency to drink to some, for someone else. And I'm telling you for this message, please, 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 
just drink. Just drink for yourself. See, many times like Jacob, when we go into struggles and we have struggles and we have problems, it, we, we pray things that may not be biblical. We pray things like, God, take the struggle away and take the pain away. Instead of praying mature prayers that, God, help me to see you different in the midst of the struggle. Help give me perseverance. Help to give me maturity. Help to trust you at a, at a deeper level. And when we pray sometimes, God, change the circumstances and, and remove this, pray, uh, and remove this pray, pain instead of praying that, man, God, just help me to grow. When we have complicated decisions to make, right? Then sometimes we pray those prayers like, God, all these open doors... Close the one I'm not supposed to go through and open the one that I'm supposed to go through. And whichever one you open, I'll go through. And so we pray the open door prayers, right? There's really only time, one time in Scripture that I see an open door prayer. It's Paul in Corinthians. And he prays and he says, God opened a door for me to Macedonia. But I did not walk through it because I did not have peace that this was the wrong time. And so what we do is we try to say, God, just make the decisions easy in my life. Just close the doors I'm not supposed to walk through. Open the doors that I'm supposed to walk through, and I'll just walk through them. Instead of praying mature prayers, which is this, God, give me the wisdom. Give me the knowledge. Give me the ability to hear from you directly from your word so that I know which door I'm supposed to walk through, and I know which doors I'm not supposed to walk through. And so when trials come, sometimes we pray things. Instead of saying, God, just use this in my life. God, just, just change the circumstances. Do you realize very seldom in Scripture, yes, I get it, yes, I understand it, God can change the circumstances in your life. You realize in Scripture, very seldom did He. You know what He wants to do? He wants to change you in the midst of the circumstance. In the midst of the situation. Jacob's life is a life of struggle. It's a life of overcoming struggle. The fact is, when you look at Jacob's life, you find that there is not a moment in his life that he is not struggling with something. And a lot of times it's because of his, his own sin. And a lot of times it's because of his own decisions. You see, Jacob, when Jacob was a liar, Jacob was a manipulator. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a swindler. And a lot of this came out of his childhood. And a lot of this came from his pain from his childhood. In his story, if we allow it, in his story, if we'll just drink it in and understand who God is, has the ability to comfort us to where we realize that we worship and we follow a God. That even when we cause the circumstances, even when we cause the situations or the struggle, that he does not leave us there. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And it's not about performance. It is about resting comfortably in his love. Three just important principles. And the first one is this. The power principles. The first one is this, just the power of endurance. Jacob had this ability. I mean, he just, he just endured. And it's the power of endurance. Genesis chapter 32. So here's the hinge verse, if you will. Here's the key verse of this story. And then we'll come back and we'll walk through the entire story. But, but just so we have a context. And then he said, so that he is God. So then he said, so this is when Jacob finds healing in the midst of his struggles, and we'll come back to that, we'll understand it. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, 
and have prevailed. Listen, that is my prayer for my life and that is my prayer for you. Regardless of your struggle, regardless if your struggle is with God, whether it's to follow him deeper, whether it's to be obedient to him in every area of your life, whether you're struggling with God in a decision, a situation in your life, or whether your struggle is with men, that you would be able to overcome, that you would be able to prevail. You see, Jacob came from one of the most dysfunctional families in all of Scripture. Jacob's family was a wreck. And as a result of that, Jacob carried a lot of pain and he carried a lot of issues out of that family. Jacob's parents, just so we understand his story, Jacob's parents were Isaac and, and Rebekah. And then Jacob had a, a twin brother named Esau. And uh, Esau and Jacob, they, they, they were nothing alike. They didn't look alike. Um, they didn't act alike. They didn't like the same things and so Jacob and Esau were, were nothing alike, even though they were twins. Very seldom did they have contact with each other in life. But, oh, when they did have contact with each other, huge conflict. When they were born, even as twins, Esau was technically the oldest because he was delivered first. When Jacob was delivered moments after Esau, he had his hand on Esau's heel, which is a glimpse of what was to come that they would struggle with each other for the rest of their life. See, even though they were twins, they were nothing alike. They didn't look alike. They didn't like, uh, act alike. They didn't like the same things. You see, Esau was a man's man. I mean, Esau loved to hang out with the men. He loved to kill stuff. He loved to skin stuff. He loved to eat stuff. I mean, I mean Esau was this man's man, and he loved the outdoors. And as a result of that, because of performance and everything else, Esau was his dad's favorite. Jacob didn't like hanging out with the men. Didn't like killing stuff and skinning stuff and trapping stuff. And Jacob would rather hang out in the tent with the women. And so these two boys... Jacob and Esau grew up trying to get the love and the affection of an earthly dad. In fact, Genesis 25, verse 28 is just kind of the commentary just real quickly on their family. and It said, Isaac loved Esau because it's performance, Right? Can you imagine Esau's life? I got to keep shooting stuff. I got to keep stealing stuff. I got to keep raising the bar to get his love and his acceptance. Whole different issue than Jacob. So dad loves Esau, and the family knows. But Rebecca, her favorite was Jacob. I mean, think about living in a family, in a household where you feel like your brother, your sister, your stepbrother, your stepsister is more favored than you, more loved than you, our love and acceptance like Esau came out of performance and you were only as good as your highlight reel. Even though their birthdays were on the same day, 
Imagine what it was like being able to sense who was the favorite. I mean, we get it. We, we understand it, right? That sets an individual up for a lot of pain in their life. And Jacob and Esau had a lot of pain. Maybe you were raised in an environment like that. Maybe you were raised in an environment to where you knew you weren't the favorite or you weren't the best or the favored. Maybe you're in a family and that's going down right now. Maybe you can remember a time when a brother or a sister or a stepbrother, stepsister was more favored than you. In the midst of all this, Jacob steals Esau's birthright. There was his birthright, Esau, because he was the oldest son. He stole his birthright with the help of his mom because they manipulated and deceived Isaac, his dad. And Isaac, thinking he was blessing Esau, blessed Jacob. When it, when it was public and the family knew, his mom was worried that Esau would, would kill Jacob. And so she sent him away and she sent him to go be with his uncle to save his life. And he meets Laban. And Laban had some daughters and Laban had this youngest daughter named Rachel and Rachel what the scripture says was she was just she was attractive she was gorgeous and even though listen Laban was their uncle and even though Jacob was a deceiver and a liar and a manipulator so was Laban sometimes it runs in the family right Sometimes there's a history where it's handed down generation after generation after generation to where nobody is able to break the chain. Laban was much better at deceiving and manipulating than Jacob. So Jacob falls in love with Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel. And he tells Laban, he says, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban's like, fine, but you'll have to work for me for like seven years. And at the end of seven years, I'll give you Rachel's hand in marriage. Even though he had another daughter, Leah, that Leah was the oldest. So, can you imagine that love? Can you imagine that commitment? Jacob worked for his wife's hand in marriage for seven years. So the wedding night comes. Laban slips Leah into the tent. Instead of Rachel. No candles, no light. In those days, they wore several veils. Jacob did not know. Till the next morning, when the sun came up and the light of the sun's rays cut through the tent, and he realized he had married the wrong sister. And he had been manipulated, he had been deceived. To where he rushed in and he confronts Laban. And Laban says, wait a minute. You know the law in our country. You know the rules. It is illegal for a younger sister to get married 
before the older sister. And Laban was, and, and Jacob was furious. We know that Rachel was beautiful in the scripture. All the scripture says about Leah was this, is that, that she had weak eyes. Which probably meant she wasn't a looker. So Laban tells Jacob, you work for me for another seven years and I'll give you Rachel's hand in marriage. Now he's starting a family. He has two wives. Can you imagine this? Two sisters at each other's throat. Can you imagine Jacob living in between two sisters that have great animosity and great dislike for each other? But Jacob... He's a deceiver. And his life was one struggle after another. Let, let me just, let's just stop right here. What is your struggle? Maybe some of you come out of or had multiple families, blended families, multiple professions, multiple sins, multiple issues, multiple struggles. What are your struggles? See, sometimes the, the danger is is that you can look at other people and it looks like that they like have it all together. And you build false beliefs and your false beliefs are they have no pain in their life and they have no struggles in their life. And I'm here to tell you every one of us has struggles. And every one of us has pain in our life. But here is the great news that God uses struggles in your life to produce godly character. That God uses the struggles and the issues and the pain in your life. See, see here's the danger and here's what, here, here's what Jacob had to learn to overcome. And many times it's what we have to learn to overcome. That if you're not careful, your pain can blind you to the love of God. Your pain can blind you to the love of God, to the care of God. Man, I'm telling you, God desires and God wants to use struggles in your life to produce endurance, to produce perseverance, to, to produce trust and character in life. Listen, can I tell you something? Your greatest ministry probably will not come out of your greatest accomplishments and your greatest success. Your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest pain, your greatest hurt, your greatest struggle, because that's where you found him faithful. Because that's where you found him. And that's where you found healing in your life. And out of that pain and out of that healing, you just want other people to find the same healing that you found. The same comfort that you found. Listen, if you believe serving God will keep you from problems, if you believe serving God will keep you from problems in your family, problems with your kids, problems in your marriage with your wife or your husband, problems with the economy, problems with your health, then someone has deceived you and someone has misled you. And many times, like Jacob, through struggles in life, God teaches us that he does not leave us and he does not forsake us. And here's the good, even if we cause them... Can you, 
Can you imagine the dysfunction of Jacob's life? Can you, you, you could read just one struggle right after, and here's the crazy thing about his life. You never see Jacob whining. You never see Jacob throwing a pity party. Because if you throw a pity party, you know nobody will come, right? You see something totally different. See, Jacob, his pain, his hurt drove him to, it drove him to prayer, even when it was self-inflicted, even when it was inflicted by others. When Esau was mad at him as an adult, and Jacob, it drove him to prayer. Fact is in Genesis chapter 28, and we just do not have time this morning. It drove Jacob to prayer, and he said, Out of that, God has been so good to me. God has blessed me so abundantly. As a result of that, I will give 10% of my wealth, 10% of my re- re- resources back to him as a form of worship. That was before the law, that was before he had to. It just came out of his life. And you watch this when he understood who God was and what God was doing in his life. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, Jacob is headed to Esau and they're going to have this this meeting. They haven't seen each other after 20 years. And again, it drives Jacob into prayer. And he begins struggling with God and he begins struggling with some decisions. And so watch this. Verse 22. Then the same night he arose and took two wives and two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of, of, of the Jabuk. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Verse 24. And so, and Jacob was left alone. It drove him to prayer. He had Esau bearing down on him. He didn't know what this meeting was going to look like or the issues that Esau had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Verse 28 tells us that he was struggling with God. And it lasted all night long. Let me ask you, what are you struggling with right now? What burden, what struggle did you bring into this place? What have you been struggling with, whether it's just this morning? What what, what were you struggling with last night? What have you been struggling with for a week, a month, or some of you? What have you been struggling with for, for years? See, sometimes God uses those struggles. See, God was behind. Listen, don't miss this. God was behind the struggle in Jacob's life. Have you ever thought God may be behind your struggle in your life? Because he wants to get your attention? Because he doesn't want you to bolt and run? The New Testament word endurance comes out of a Greek word that simply means this. The willingness to remain under. See, so many people, they don't understand the power of endurance. And so what happens to them? You know what happens to them? When they go into a crisis, they bolt and run. And then they wonder why they never get healing in life. So you find in Jacob's life, when he was willing to remain under the crisis and honor God and go to God in prayer, that he finds finds great healing. Listen, let me tell you something. For most people, will never change in life. Until their pain becomes greater than the fear of change. There are some people, you know what they know they need to change, right? We get that, right? 
There are some people, they know they need to change some things in their life and they need to change some decisions and behaviors and all that other stuff. But listen, let me tell you something. Most people will never change until their pain becomes so great. This is Jacob's life. There's many testimonies in this room. The pain was greater than just the fear of change. And so Jacob struggles all night. And so he comes to the place and he basically says, you know, I give up. Isn't that the goal when you wrestle with someone? I was raised with brothers, right? You, you want to get them to the point where you pin them and they say uncle. Right? That's it. And you know some people, will, they will let you inflict an enormous amount of pain on them until they say uncle. God was pinning Jacob. So he would say, uncle, I give up. I'll surrender. I'll follow you. Verse 25, so when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, watch this. So here's the power of endurance. Here's a power of a commitment. Here's a power of perseverance right here. I'm going to remain under this crisis. I'm going to remain under this situation. What? Until you bless me. God uses crisis. God desires to use crisis in your life to deepen you. See, in life, we're great starters, right? And we're horrible finishers. I once started an exercise program for a whole afternoon. (laughs) Saw no results, and so I quit it. (laughs) You know, a lot of us are like that, right? God, I'll follow you for a day. I mean, I'll trust you in the struggle for a day. I'll trust you for a couple of days. We are an instant society. If we do not see change, if we do not see evidence quick enough, you know what we'll do? We'll bail, and we wonder why we don't find healing in life. Listen, it takes commitment to turn a life around. You did not get there overnight, and guess what? You will not get out of there overnight. There's a process, and there is maturity that God wants to drill down into your soul. Verse 27 out of Genesis 32 And so the man said to him, this is crazy. When you read this, it kind of catches you off guard, right? God's all-knowing. Jacob knows his name. God knows Jacob's name. And the Lord says, he says, well, what is your name? That's crazy, right? I mean, just first glance. God, don't you know who I am? He said, what is your name? So the question is, why did God ask him his name? Now, remember in the Old Testament, a name meant something. It was an indication of your character, as an in- indication of your character. Uh, I said that twice. Your integrity, because I wanted to highlight character. <laughs> when you heard someone's name, you knew something about them. So Jacob's name meant liar, cheater, deceiver, swindler. You know what God was doing with Jacob and what he wants to do with us? He wants us to admit who we are. Why are we so afraid to admit to God who we really are that he already knows? When he promised to love us and not forsake us and to forgive us. Jacob had to say to God, you see, in the contemporary church, we no longer respect the discipline of confession. 
I sinned against you. Please forgive me. I hurt you. Please forgive me. When Jacob, when God asked him your name, Jacob had to say, confession, I am a liar. And it brought up all those people from his dad and Esau, all those people that he had lied to. I'm a manipulator. I'm a deceiver. I'm a swindler. Jacob came face to face not only with God, but Jacob came face to face with himself, and he was never the same because he realized that. Because he realized that God loved a liar like him. I just hate to tell you this. It's out of scripture. It's out of my life. Until we admit, until we confess, until we admit what we're really like. Until we admit that I have a problem. I hate to tell you this. God cannot help you. Second principle, we're going to move quickly, is the power of a new beginning. You see that in Jacob's life. It was confession. He admitted who he was. And then all of a sudden you see this power, just a new beginning. Listen, let me tell you something. We love it to talk about in churches that God is a God of second chances, right? And he is. So listen to me. I mean, but some, but, but, so we like to talk about that a lot. God is a God of second chance. God is a God of second chance. God is a God of second chances. And he is. But here's the deal. God is a God of second chance, but he will not be a God of second place in your life. He is a God of second chance. But he will not be a God of second place in your life. That's when Jacob got healing. That's when he said, God, the first 10% of my resources is yours. Because I'll put you priority in my finances. I'll put you priority in my marriage. I'll put you priority in my life. Listen, healing is found when we understand that, yes, he's a God of second chance. But guess what? That he wants to be a priority in your life. And he does not want to be a God of second or third or fourth or leftovers in your life. And so here's what he said in Genesis 32, 22. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he, there he goes. There he blessed him. And so Jacob called, on the name, called the name of the place Penel, saying, I have seen God face to face. And watch this. And yet my life has been delivered. There is freedom in your life when you realize you can admit who you are and God still loves you and God still... Uh, Uh, continues a relationship with you and does not walk away from you. He is saying, I did not deliver myself. Guess what? God delivered me. Then the sun rose upon upon him as he passed Penel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that that is on his hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And so Jacob's life began to change here in prayer. I mean, Jacob names the place just the face of God. And Jacob came face to face with God and face to face with his hurt and face to face with his pain. And and God like took it away. Listen, let me just tell you something. How long are you going to run from him? 
How many excuses are you going to continue to make? How great does the pain have to get in your life to where you just say, Uncle, how long will you continue doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results? Jacob comes face to face with God. And he was like never the same. There comes a time in everybody's life, you just got to keep run, quit running. And Jacob said, I just got to quit running. I can't do this. And God blesses him and God tells him, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel. Remember, I'm telling you, their names meant something. Jacob meant liar, cheater, swindler, deceiver. He said, for now on, your name's going to be a new name. I'm going to give you a a new beginning. I'm going to give you a, a fresh start. And you'll be known as Israel. Israel had two meanings. The most predominant meaning meant this. The prince of God. Can you believe that? A liar, cheater, swindler, deceiver went from that to the prince of God. Another meaning for Israel meant one who struggles with God. When you read the New Testament, you find Romans 9.13. God says this about Jacob. Jacob, I loved. Not because of his performance. Not because he was the favored child. Not because of his gifts and his abilities and being able to jump through hoops. I love Jacob because he is my son. And I have a relationship with him. Listen, problems produce prayer in people's lives. And it's in the struggles of life, in the struggles of, of, of life, that we just learn to pray. Man, problems produce prayer. And listen, and prayer produces intimacy with God. Not the superficial prayers, but the deep prayers. We don't even have time for it this morning. I'll give you some homework. Genesis chapter 33, 1 through 11. The family is put back together. I mean, only God can do stuff like that. Listen, let me tell you something. God not only desires to give individuals a new beginning and a fresh start, He desires to give families a new beginning and a fresh start. He desires to give marriages a new beginning and a fresh start. He desires to give children and their, their relationship to a mom and a dad a new beginning and a fresh start. He desires. Only God can do stuff like that. And Esau and Jacob hadn't seen each other in like 20 years. And Esau's bearing down on him, and they have this this very emotional meaning. You see, Esau had a lot of pain, and Jacob had a lot of pain. They were introducing each other to new family members that they had never known about. See, Esau, even though he was the favorite, when his dad blessed Jacob and didn't bless him, Esau went into rebellion. You know what he did? He went out and married a woman that he knew his dad would not approve of. That's what rebellion is. And it caused him a lot of pain in his life. In Exodus 33, both Esau and Jacob were afraid of this meeting. And they went anyway. And they trusted God. The last one is this. 
just the power of your words. This one's really personal to me, and in fact, as all of them are, I guess you can tell. Genesis chapter 49, Jacob's about ready to die. Twelve sons. Remember the chain in Jacob's life from his dad, Isaac. Isaac would only bless one son, and he had a favored kid and all of that other stuff. So Jacob's about ready to die. Genesis 49, verse 28. So all these are the twelve tribes of Israel. So that's all of Jacob's sons. So he calls his sons in. Moments left before he's going to die. And this is what their father said to them as he, as he blessed them. Not just one. Isn't there something about us? We want the blessing of an earthly father. We want to know that he approves of us and that he loves us. Jacob is breaking the chain. Listen, if, break, if Jacob can break the chain in his family, I am telling you, you can break any chain in your family. And it says that he blessed them, but it wasn't some generic prayer. Look at this. Blessing each with what? With a blessing suitable to him. In the Hebrew, that word suitable means tailor-made. He didn't bless all the kids with the same blessing. Because of your personality, because of your likes, because of your dislikes. And I'm speaking a blessing over your life. Inside of every one of us, there's like this desire... Just to be blessed by dad. See, the danger is if you haven't had that, then you will see your heavenly father, father through the lens, through the, the, the screen of an imperfect model, through the hurt and the pain of an earthly dad, and you will develop some false images of a holy and perfect and loving God. And I heard, heard Bill Hybels talk about the power of words here a while back. and talk about Proverbs that... Words can give heal, healing or pain. And he said, what if we changed our words? And what if we started saying things to our family members like, I believe in you. Instead of finding everything that they've done wrong. I trust you. How about finding the decision that they made and say, just say, I'm proud of you. I love you. Or how about this one? When there is hurt and pain, when they've done something to disappoint you, and you sit down with them, how about just opening up the talk? Help me understand. No accusations. No blame. Just help me understand why you made that decision. Help me understand why you did that. Jacob broke the chain in his family's life. Close with a very personal story, and then we're going to pray. So you guys know I was raised in a dysfunctional family and went back to my Uncle Bob's wed, uh, funeral and uh, hadn't seen a lot of my family in 40 years and met some people I didn't even know and found out some had died that I didn't even know had died. And so Uncle Bob, and his, he was a believer and had two daughters. Had Vicky and Darlene. Days before his death, he, Vicky was by his bedside and and all of a sudden, Uncle Bob speaks a blessing over her life. And Darlene was in the hall, and Dar- Darlene heard it, and she really wanted that. 
So she kept hanging out with her dad at his bedside waiting for her blessing and it never came. So about a day before his, or two days before his death, she said, Daddy, I heard you give a blessing to Vicky. I'd really like a blessing for me. And he changes the subject. So she thought, well, maybe he didn't hear me. Maybe he didn't track. And so she waited several hours and nothing. And so she looked at him and said, Daddy, I really want a blessing like Vicky got. Could you please bless me? And he didn't. And she is learning that the blessing of God in heaven is the one that counts. And that God's opinion of her is not... Go ahead, yeah. And God's opinion of her is not dependent on what her earthly dad said about her. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Don't drink for anyone else. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? Do you need to accept him for the very first time and ask him to come into your life because you've seen him different than you've ever seen him before? That in your imperfections, in your deepest pain, in your deepest mistakes, he still loves you and he's still calling out to you and he desires for you to receive him and ask him to come into your life where there's transformation. For those of you that know him, let me ask you, what are you struggling with? How long are you going to run? How much pain are you going to endure until you say, Uncle, I give up. Maybe some of you here this morning, you just need to hear that when you are in Christ, you are totally and completely loved. In Christ, you are perfect. In Christ, you are forgiven. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And may that drive you into a relationship to put him first in your life. Maybe you just need to hear God say, fill in the blank with your name. I love you.